Hi, this is Kate Lassen, Supply ES Change, that's ES for Environmental Social of ESG, and Supply ES Change for Supply Chain Change. Just wanted to share an update today um, about how we look at those social labor risks in supply chains, and actually it's relevant to the environmental side as well. So. Thanks for joining, and um, to jump right into it, uh, as it's a busy industry. So, I had someone ask me, what do you do the other day, when I explained that I work on uh, responsible sourcing, training, and guiding companies learning how to understand and uh, adhere to the new rules for business human rights due diligence and supply chain decent work labor standards. Um, we talked a bit about factories in Asia where I and my colleagues have done lots of monitoring and assessments, investigations for uh, brands and buyers over the years. And this clever non-industry person said to me when I talked about how you check conditions, she said, well, I mean, you can't just, and we were talking modern slavery, you can't just walk up to a worker and sort of just ask them in a factory, can you? And look perplexed. And I said, well, you know what? It's funny you should ask that uh, because you'd be surprised how many companies I come across who still think that's all you have to do. <laughs> so that's the topic for today's podcast. If that's not what you should be doing, and maybe if that's what your company had been doing, um, for lack of um, other ideas, let me share some other ideas. Um, so I've worked on this work for over 17 years um, and slightly breathless as I talk as I'm out walking um, and this great new podcast recording software, so thanks for that. Um, and recording from the UK, but lived in China and Asia for a long time working there. So my insights are largely from those supply chains, but also about what happens in uh, supply chains in the UK and Europe and uh, the West, as well as, um, you know, the Global South as well. So, so back to that case. So you want to check whether there's risk of modern slavery, or any labor standards, safety violations in a supplier, in a factory, or, or any workplace really. This goes for construction sites as well, shipbuilding, you name it. Um, and yeah, it, it doesn't really work to just walk up to a worker and ask them, are the conditions, are the conditions okay? Or what's it like working here? And you know, now that I talk about it, hopefully you're thinking, well, this is a no-brainer, this is obvious. And that's because um, workers can't really tell you the truth if it's not great uh, in front of their boss. And I'm not saying that means that their boss has to be standing right behind you um, or even their supervisor. Um, but, you know, just the fact that it's been seen that you've spoken to this person and then you know certain things means that allegations can be tied back to the worker. So you know, we have an industry called social audits or certification standard um, that people learn to social audit, that's labor audit, normally spend three to five days to 
uh, do the basic training in that. And it's a lot of practicing interviewing workers and in small groups, um, which adds some level of confidentiality to what happens in a one, two or three day social audit of a site by somebody who's been properly trained in these ways. But you know, the other angle I shared to her is really that's not enough. And what actually happens and the reason the media finds stuff out before many companies do is when companies rely on these on-site announced assessments. But actually the media or NGOs, that activists, um, are willing to go a bit further and go beyond the factory gates and unannounced off-site talk to workers off-site. So I've commissioned plenty of these uh, in my brand roles over the years and worked with many other people who have, but I'm also well aware and could, could start listing many companies who, who don't do this and then wonder why, you know, six months or a year later, uh, we things turn around and they're in the media over some scandal found in their supply chain that they're saying, oh, we didn't know about. And, you know, the, the case I bring to mind right now is um, Boohoo, the online retailer fast fashion company uh, in the UK who were caught out in recent months uh, this summer of 2020 um, over many allegations of workers and factories and their supply chain making this fast fashion who were being forced to go back to work or demanded to go back to work um, in COVID crackdown, uh, shutdown, sorry, and usually with no, almost almost no PPE or precautions being taken, and also um, long-running issues around being not paid the legal minimum wage, um, and maybe excessive working hours as well. So, and in a few cases there of modern slavery, and associated with those factories, um, a lot of COVID cases. The whole city of Leicester went into lockdown because it contributed to the spread of the disease. And there were e even um, apparently some deaths affiliated with some of those factories. So Boohoo, that retailer who had not monitored that supply chain closely enough to check for decent work conditions whereby people wouldn't feel that they had to go to work if they were sick, um, and obviously the health safety around COVID, um, were lambasted <laughs> by... Uh, those activists, as they say, and the media for not having done sufficient human rights due diligence um, and assessing of those conditions. So what we saw, uh, well, Boohoo's um, stock price dropped significantly after after lots of negative media, Financial Times and, and many other outlets um, discussing this case and it's really hit the company pretty hard. So you know, one of the learnings there is uh, that you, for many years, many of the other fashion retailers who were historically buying from these small factories in the Leicester area had been openly and publicly talking about the fact that they discovered that some of these factories were pretty rogue operators and had poor working conditions. Um, and they had been part of programs which were um, managing or, or coordinating for more investigative audits with unannounced uh, sometimes and off-site worker interviewing for full worker confidentiality. And that's why these other companies knew the conditions were there 
uh, screamed out, started to phase out factories with poor conditions who weren't willing to make improvements over time to be able to verify that through these follow-up robust investigative audits. Um, and then to feel confident to to say publicly, you know, there's an issue here that the industry needs solved. Um, to some extent, the government should really be um, doing a lot more labor inspecting and health safety inspecting. Um, but, you know, companies like Boohoo, who continued to source from uh, those factories and, and not do the same due diligence, not participate in the same industry working groups, etc., uh, really got caught out and, and lambasted for not having um, taken note of, of what was a publicly known um, situation and, and of worker exploitation, essentially. So... So just to go back to what that takeaway is for today, I think I've actually landed you with three things there. <laughs> so one of them was um, that I talked about the fact that, yeah, it's, it's good to visit a factory, a supplier, uh, be it a construction site or a factory, as I say, and walk around and talk to workers. That's, that's great. Um, and, and it, or at least to walk around and, and really talk to management as well and get a feel for the operation. And I used to feel in my time in China, I speak Chinese, that it was also important to walk around the factory and let the factory manager show their factory so that they knew that I respected the, the effort they had made because there's no perfect factory I've ever heard of when it comes to labor and safety standards. Um, there, there are some that are significantly better than others. Obviously, we all know that. Um, there's, a, there's a lot in the middle, and I would say 95% sit in the middle, so to speak, of you know frequently having in a year how many weeks where what percent of workers work more than 60 hours um, or having some safety issues to improve. Um, and unfortunately, many who, who still aren't paying all the overtime rates to every single worker, and that's what there is to fix. Um, but, you know, so you know you're going to, to if, you, if you're doing a robust investigative assessment, you're really digging in and aware of your issues so you don't get caught out like Boohoo later. Um, you know you're going to have this sort of laundry list as it's been put of, of the compliance action plan, the, the list of things that the factory might be working on improving. And it, it may be that hopefully you've collaborated with other buyers, if there are many buyers from the factory, with the permission of the supplier to reduce all these audits happening and the fatigue of that and the waste of that. Um, but you know, when you come to say here are the areas for improvement, it's also good to have already shown respect for the areas they're already doing well, um, because they wouldn't be your supplier if they weren't really good at some things. Hopefully, so quality, um, on-time delivery. You know, I know price is important, but you, you also need the other factors as well. So, um, first stage, though, out of those three things, I was going to leave you with was. Um, to not only do that visit, but that number one step is to arrange that off-site worker interviewing as well. And secondly, that has to be unannounced uh, because otherwise workers would potentially be intimidated by by owners, factory or managers who um, who who are aware and, and want to have something to hide, want to don't want to. Um, let it be known if they do have, if they are the supplier who hasn't paid all minimum wages or whether bean workers doing 80 hour weeks or 90 hour weeks, things many of us have seen over the years in the industry, um, or even delayed wages, which is which is a pretty common one. And then if we're looking at modern slavery, um, where workers have had, you know, successive agents fees charged um, or their passports retained, that sort of thing. 
um, or threats that if they tried to leave, um, there could be violence against them or their family. So those are the, the key modern slavery indicators. So that first thing about it being unannounced, that second about that off-site worker interviewing whenever possible, um, maybe I can discuss on another podcast another time and, and interview some people about what that really looks like on the ground. Um, but you know, I've, I've coordinated them, that that happens in many sides across Asia. This friend I spoke to said, oh, but you couldn't do that, could you? And I said, you're quite right. As a blonde white woman, you know, I don't do that. I... Um, and this is my other message to those of you listening. Yes, we should go and visit a factory in China, Malaysia, etc. You know, if it's not COVID and, and, and travel is back to normal. And it's really good to understand conditions and see dormitories for yourself and, and see workers' conditions. Um, but we are not going to be the ones who are told what the, the real invisible working conditions are. So... Um, you know, I would always advise um, any clients or, or whoever I'm training that you want to understand that you need to be commissioning the best local experts um, and people who speak a worker's language. So these social audit professionals um, who you know, many of us have commissioned many of all over the world for years. So in Turkey, that's Turkish people. If they're a risk of Syrian workers, you want to try to get a Syrian person on the team. And in Malaysia, um, you, know, you want a team which reflects the worker base, which in most factories is, is Bangladeshis, Nepalese, um, maybe some Indonesians. So, so a team with two or three of those nationalities and languages to interview those workers. Um, in China, Chinese people. It's said in Japan, workers are often from China, Vietnam, uh, Cambodia, even Burma. So, you know, I've, I've managed teams where we managed to find interns uh, who we trained up to become social auditors. Um, these are master students in social work related things. Um, and they had a part time job where they went with a Japanese social audit lead. Um, but they were the one who led the worker interviews with the workers from those countries um, and being from those countries themselves and, and able to speak Burmese or Vietnamese, as they say, um, and then Chinese. And, and I used to interview the Chinese workers in Japanese factories as well. Um, so, so those are ways you can uh, really understand better what the true conditions are. Um, as I say, unannounced whenever possible. It's not always possible, but but it is the better way, and especially the higher risk, the higher chance that a supplier um, really has something to hide um, in terms of, of labor standards and having not paid minimum wages or um, truly excessive working hours, or as I said, the, those, those modern slavery indicators. Um, and um, no, really wanting to to um, understand what's going on by, by having heard that worker voice. Um, that's what's absolutely crucial to the social side of, of ESG, of responsible sourcing is, and you know, when I say that, hopefully for some of you, your mind is thinking of SDGs as well, those sustainable development goals that are about um, decent work and no poverty and women's empowerment, um, you know, the scathing uh, reports in recent years by Human Rights Watch and others about um, how many social audits hadn't picked up on abuse of women workers. 
um, in factories, particularly in South Asia, but really um, there are reports of it sort of almost anywhere in places where there's a significant female uh, lower work base and, and a lot of male management. So, so Jordan would be a classic example with a lot of immigrant workers and they're highly vulnerable. Um, so, you know, at the worst, there have been cases of, of, of serious rape, um, but a lot of um, sexual abuse as well and, and sexual harassment. And we really need to do a better job of um, understanding that and knowing where it's happening and then being able to engage those factories. And, you know, there's some great programs out there uh, where you can bring in experts to or encourage a factory if they want to stay your supplier long term to bring in trainers who are real experts and helping them see the value in treating their female workers better, that supervisor level um, and management level, um, and, and build that gender balance and, and gender empowerment, gender equity for benefit for everyone in the factory. And obviously, as a buyer, for um, knowing you're working with a better supplier who's who's been improving over time. So... You know, even if cases are found, it doesn't mean you need to cut and run. That's not the advice that um, your biggest critics would would expect. They would hope that you would engage and influence um, for what's called the remediation uh, or some of the remediation, as mentioned in the UN Guiding Principles on Business and Human Rights, um, due diligence. So... Um, those things to take away today were <laughs> the importance of of trying to of not only having your visits but also booking unannounced social audits by social audit experts with off-site worker interviewing. When I say unannounced, uh, many companies would explain to their tier one supply chain that sometime in the next six or 12 months, whatever your sort of standard is, you will all or many of you will receive an unannounced audit by representatives from our company. And this is the type of letter they'll have when they turn up or whatever it may be. And um, we expect you to you know, allow them on site straight away. And um, that the on-site part of the audit goes ahead. And as I say, um, the off-site would have, would have happened already. And you know, sometimes auditors are able to do that in, even the week before if they live nearby, that kind of thing, and, and really research a little bit more um, about that supplier. Um, so hope that's been useful uh, to, to hear about um, why you know, those visits to walk around a factory, it's not that they're not useful, but they're not enough. And they're not, they're certainly not what's expected. And I would actually even point out um, under the US TEFTA law, which is against imports of goods alleged to be made under conditions of forced labor, companies are expected if they don't want their goods to be held by customs when one of these allegations for what's called a withdrawal, uh, withdrawal order, um, release withhold order, sorry, is raised, um, companies are expected to demonstrate that they've done great human rights due diligence and, and customs, US Customs actually explains this quite well, that what they want is a proper responsible sourcing program and a company to be able to say that they've done social audits and to these sorts of standards um, and maybe that's happened also through collaborations, uh, either directly with other buyers and or in industry initiatives. That's great, um, but that rigor of 
not just sending people announced um, that people are proper social auditors and that there's that real investigative aspect of, of giving ch- workers a chance to really speak up for whether there was forced labor uh, indicators and conditions and, and that your company therefore indi- influenced that the supplier improve. Th- that's what you need to prove to get customs to release goods. Um, so that's a clear message. Uh, and they're not the only government who are starting to pass laws that indicate this way. The UK Modern Slavery Act isn't really about that, although it, it is encouraging that sort of um, activity by companies. It's merely about the, the Modern Slavery Statement a company must publish. Which, but, but the statement needs to say that your work is improving every year in monitoring and assessing for that risk of modern slavery in your supply chain. And this is one way you would be monitoring and improving your assessing of the risk. Um, Australia Modern Slavery Act similar and really what I was referring to though is the business human rights due diligence laws so France has already passed one the EU have said they are drafting one and many businesses have got behind that call for that EU directive and another call to the German government to pass similar and Swiss Parliament's been I'm having referendums about similar as well a number of other countries. So we're seeing a lot more pressure that companies do this due diligence. Um, and the world of activists are, are saying that due diligence needs to have more robustness. These are some of the ways you can go about it. We'll, we'll talk about more on other podcasts about, about having more robustness to the monitoring and assessment. Um, and then, you know, the transparency of reporting that um, is really what all of those laws I mentioned is about. They're saying um, companies want to talk about it. So actually, if you look at uh, companies who are really mature in this work, you often do see them um, almost explicitly saying what I've been describing in this podcast, perhaps in slightly better wording um, or slightly different wording. But um, that's reflected through in that U.S. Customs, uh, TEFTA law guidance as well for, for how a company should be having a good responsible sourcing program so really great to get to to share about that today um hope that's really useful um i'm kate from supplyeschange.com uh, we have an email newsletter where keep you updated on when we have articles or speak on other people's podcasts about all this sort of thing often with investors or spoken on the bbc about the forced labor in china of Uyghur workers um and connect on LinkedIn um, and be part of getting these insights into what does it really take to do what's expected to lower the risk and uh, be working with suppliers who provide better decent work conditions that reduce risk for your company and deliver those social impacts that we very much need in the world these days so thank you for your great listening because that means you're making an effort there dare i say it give a shit um and um, so it's a podcast we can have fun um and thank you for sharing this um and subscribing and and commenting on the podcast and um you know and send in any questions you have as well any questions or comments um i'm on linkedin kate larson of supply es change or you can find the supply es change page um and and my website and uh, my team who who are from asia lived and worked all over asia and around the world um we love 
try to help people really understand what it takes to to be a better business, to be a responsible business that really reduces your risk in the medium long run as well and, and helps you sleep better at night knowing you've done what you can to um, have a more stable supply chain um, that's also having a social impact. So um, have a good day or evening there and look forward to update you and share more insights on the next podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Bye. Thank you.